The Lord be with you. And also with you. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. We gather to worship Almighty God, to illumine the imagination by the beauty of God, to quicken the conscience by the holiness of God, to warm the heart by the love of God, to devote the will to the purposes of God. We gather to worship Almighty God. The liturgy and music and homily this day are offered for our gathered congregation here within Marsh Chapel. For our radio congregation across New England at WBUR 90.9 FM and for our internet listenership now and later at WBUR.org. We welcome your prayerful and material support, your written or emailed responses, your self-selection of forms of ministry, leadership, and service in our midst. And as the Spirit moves, come Sunday, your presence with us in worship. Upon this Lord's Day, as we celebrate persistence, divine and human, we remember the words of our most recent Nobel laureate, Bob Dylan. Sometimes I feel so low down and disgusted, can't help but wonder what's happening to my companions. Are they lost or are they found? Have they counted the cost it'll take to bring down all their earthly principles they're going to have to abandon? There's a slow, slow train coming up around the bend. This is the day that the Lord has made. We shall rejoice and be glad in it. As we are able, may we stand in the praise of God.
May we pray. Almighty and everlasting God, in Christ you have revealed your glory among the nations. Preserve the works of your mercy that your church throughout the world may preserve with steadfast faith in the confession of your name through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Please be seated. In a letter this week to the Wall Street Journal, our advisory board member and friend, Dr. Larry Gage, addressing a misrepresentation of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, recalled persistence in Bonhoeffer's words Bonhoeffer wrote. The church is church only when it is there for others. The church must participate in the worldly tasks of life in the community, not dominating but helping and serving. It must tell people in every calling what a life with Christ is, what it means to be there for others. It will have to see that it does not underestimate the significance of the human example. In that spirit, recalling those words and that example, let us bow as our choir sings the traditional Kyrie. Lord, have mercy upon us. Thou who is loving us into love and freeing us into freedom, grant us thy pardon, grant us thy peace. Hear good news, if we confess our sins, God who is faithful and just will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thanks be to God. A lesson from the prophet Jeremiah, chapter 31, verses 27 to 34. 
The days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will sow the house of Israel and the house of Judah with the seed of humans and the seed of animals. And just as I have watched over them to pluck up and break down, to overthrow, destroy, and bring evil, so I will watch over them to build and to plant, says the Lord. In those days they shall say no longer, the parents have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge, but all shall die for their own sins. The teeth of everyone who eats sour grapes shall be set on edge. The days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant that I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, a covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, says the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, says the Lord, I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. No longer shall they teach one another or say to each other, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, says the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and remember their sin no more. The word of the Lord.
Please join me in reading verses from Psalm along with the antiphone. It is my meditation all day long. Commandment makes me wiser than my enemies, for it is always with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your decrees are my meditation. I understand more than your enemies, my precepts. I hold back my feet from every evil way in order to keep your word. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. For your precepts I get understanding, therefore I have every false way. Now, please rise as you are able for the singing of the Glory Patri and the reading of the Gospel. Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to St. Luke, chapter 18, verses 1 through 8. Glory to you, O Lord. Then Jesus told them a parable about their need to pray always and not to lose heart. He said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor had respect for people. In that city there was a widow who kept coming to him and saying, Grant me justice against my opponent. For a while he refused, but later he said to himself, Though I have no fear of God and no respect for anyone, yet, because this widow keeps bothering me, I will grant her justice, so that she may not wear me out by continually coming. And the Lord said, Listen to what the unjust judge says, and will not God grant justice to his chosen ones who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long in helping them? I tell you, he will quickly grant justice to them. And yet, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? The Gospel of the Lord. 
Praise to you, Lord Christ. Please be seated. 
Jesus told them a parable about their need to pray always and not to lose heart. Tuesday, you may have been driving midday out over the BU Bridge and into Cambridge. If so, on that bright, crisp autumn day, you would have run into a delay. Along the river, remember, there are swans, many white swans, encamped alongside and under the bridge. But they do not exclusively sojourn riverside. Sometimes, by the by, they saunter out due north and west, themselves headed for Cambridge, or at least a little part of Cambridge. Ah, the allure of the other side of the river and all its Cambridge delights, colleges and students and green grass and bicycle lanes and endowments. The River Charles is deep and wide, alleluia, 38 billion on the other side, alleluia. Tuesday, which was a BU Monday, by the way, but still a Tuesday, you perhaps came to rest awaiting the green light. In the head of the car queue, there was an elderly couple, somewhat timid, surely nice, kindly folks, and the light turned. But the swans had made their way into the intersection, and the couple was loath to disturb them. The car, and so the subaltern, many cars behind, waited for another light change. A dozen or two confused birds crossed, and then, just as the light changed again, they turned and walked back, solemn and waddling procession, one by one, beginning with the eldest, as John 8 says. Again, our dear, timid guests made no honking, threatening, aggressive moves at the front of the line. They waited, and again the light changed. You might want to imagine what sorts of reactions to all of this were then occasioned and vigorously offered by the lineup of cars eager to leave Boston and enter the Shangri-La of Cambridge. We Bostonians are such a patient, calm, ironic crew, especially when behind the wheel, don't you know? It was not pretty. After another light change or three, somehow by grace, the swans elected to return home to their nests, spots, and cribs along the the River Charles. Driving, say, then, along Memorial Drive, perhaps headed to visit a friend and parishioner in a nursing home in Watertown, you may have mused, be mused, about what you saw, swan and car, light and traffic, intersection and interruption, and mainly in equal balance, the timidity of the lead drivers and the confusion of the birds in procession. One part timidity, one part confusion, or one part confusion and one part timidity in largely equal measure confusion and timidity. You may have been reminded of many meetings, even church meetings, where the two, confusion and timidity, are often found in equal measure. You may have been reminded in our season of the choices made in cable network so-called journalism, where the two, Confusion and timidity have been found in full this year in equal measure. Or you may have been reminded of the cultural demise all around us to the shame of us all, 
the acceptance of bullying and demagoguery, the normalization of vulgarity and sexism, the accommodation of buffoonery and megalomania, our willingness to have our children and grandchildren so surrounded in a culture careening into carelessness. Yes, I really got him. I called him low energy. That was a one-day kill. And then, words are beautiful things. Can you hear that? Institutions are far more fragile than we sometimes think, especially the bigger ones. They all require trust, commitment, integrity, self-sacrifice, and humility on the part of their leaders, or over time they disintegrate. It is not just the processes, systems, organizations, and structures that matter. It is the people. No amount of systematics adjustment can ever replace the fundamental need across a culture for good people. No wise process has any chance against unwise people. Do not assume that the institutions that have been healthy will always be so. Do not presume that free speech in newspapers, due process in political parties, or honest regard for electoral results simply exist. They do or they don't. It depends on the people who inhabit, support, and lead them. Be careful in a time like ours when to some degree, quoting Yeats, the best lack all conviction while the worst are full of passionate intensity. Giving ultimate loyalty to penultimate reality is sin at its very depth. To support an organization at the cost of honor, integrity, or honesty is to give ultimate loyalty to penultimate reality. That is, to support a political party at the cost of honor, integrity, and, and honesty is to give ultimate loyalty to penultimate reality. Sin at its depth. That is, to support a church denomination at the cost of honor, integrity, and honesty is to give ultimate loyalty to penultimate reality. In the hour of judgment, the organization, party or church or other, depends upon the courage and integrity of individuals to resist idolatrous loyalty to penultimate reality and to respond with courage and integrity to ultimate authority. You cannot serve God and mammon. Giving ultimate loyalty to penultimate reality is sin at its depth. In 1980, with 12 Cornell students, and for a full year, we studied Jeremiah. Two of those then young graduate students are now teaching at Brown University and are a part of the extended Marsh Chapel family. Last year, they reminded me that the group had asked to study Jeremiah high above Cayuga's waters, and I had wondered, quote, whether they were ready for him. They said they were, and they were. In all these intervening years with student and campus groups from Cornell, McGill, North Country Community, Syracuse, Lemoyne, Colgate, Rochester, the University of Rochester, United Seminary, and now Boston University, we have returned again and again to group study and often to Jeremiah. 
Never, though, have I been more grateful for Jeremiah's evocation of the stark, suffering, divine love of God, for Jeremiah's unswerving realism than this fall of 2016. In the autumn of demagoguery and its partial acceptance by America, I kneel and kiss the ground thankful for Jeremiah and his divine human realism. We leave him here this week. I am eternally thankful for Jeremiah's realism about what horrors can befall people and a people when they forget their identity. I am eternally thankful for Jeremiah's realism about what happens to a people whose leaders have and live values diametrically opposed to the nation's own. I am eternally thankful, painful as it is to hear the words, for Jeremiah's realism about how naive and selfishness a people can become and how earth-shattering that foolishness can be. I am eternally thankful for Jeremiah's realism about the crucial importance of diplomacy rather than violence and about what happens when megalomaniacal leaders mock diplomacy. I am eternally thankful, if such can be said, for Jeremiah's own wretched suffering as he watched his beloved country exchange their birthright of justice for a mess of material pottage. I am eternally thankful for the clarity, not confusion, for the courage, not timidity, of his voice ringing out across 25 centuries to say to you in a way you cannot avoid If you follow leadership that is immoral, unjust, unloving, unwise, you will get what you deserve, and the deserts will be disastrous in real time. I am eternally thankful for Jeremiah's pitiless reproach for people whose own religion bluntly teaches them to tell truth, honor others, seek justice, protect the poor and the weak, who then select leaders who say they have done and will do the opposite and then are proven to have done. We have been warned. I am eternally thankful also today for Jeremiah's realism, which, did you hear it, includes at the end, encompassed at twilight, for all the suffering the divine love endures, including Jeremiah's own slave death and unmarked grave in Egypt, A grace note, a ringing bell, a song sung, a word spoken, a hope that one day, says the Lord, I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. No longer shall they teach one another or say to each other, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, says the Lord. So we arrive by way of Jeremiah today in the confusion and timidity of our time, at the town court of Nazareth, the honorable unjust judge presiding. Hear ye, hear ye, his honor awaits. And behold, the Lord Jesus Christ dressed today in the apparel of a poor woman. For those who rightly feel anxiety, despair, or depression at the rampant sexism now latent and palpable, revealed by the events of this year and autumn across our decaying culture, take heart. 
Behold the Lord Jesus Christ, dressed today in the raiment of a persistent poor widow. Yes, in our autumn of anxiety, we can readily appreciate the scripture's utter realism. Luke, too, needed to remember that Jesus told them about losing heart. This phrase communicates to a time like ours, reminding us that greater souls in easier times have felt such ennui. So we are not surprised today to hear reports of increased therapy and medication and consumption of comfort food. We all, to some degree, feel the depression, sense the anxiety. Jesus pointed to the town court of Nazareth and therein to the simple figure of a persistent woman. See her at the bench, watch her in the aisle, listen to her steady voice, feel her stolid forbearance, says she, grant me justice. The widow's untiring pursuit of justice is translated into the faith that should mark the church's welcome of the awaited Son of Man. In Nazareth town court, all rise, hear ye, hear ye, the honorable Unjay presiding, who neither fears not God nor regards man. There, a persistent woman before him employs time and voice. You have time and voice. Like Christ himself, she implores the implacable world to grant justice. Like Christ himself, she comes on a donkey of tongue and patience. Like Christ himself, she continues to plead, to intercede. Like Christ himself, she importunes the enduring injustice of this world. Like Christ himself, she prays without ceasing. Like Christ himself, she persists. She is an example to us of how we should use whatever time we have and whatever breath remains to pray. It is prayer that is the most realistic and wisest repose of the anxious of this autumn of exasperation. By prayer we mean formal prayer, yes, more here next week. But by prayer we mean, too, the persistent daily leaning toward justice, the continuous pressure in history through you, from the voice of the voiceless and the time of the time bound. Notice waiting with us this poor widow. She lacks power, authority, status, position, wealth, but she has her voice and all the time in the world, and so do you. Like Jesus the Christ, whose faith comes by hearing and hearing by the preachment of the word. If we are not to lose heart in the seemingly unending search for justice, we shall need to pray always, we shall need to relax into the truth and to give ourselves over to the divine presence in our midst, to give ourselves over to a real common hope, and to be clear, not confused, courageous, not timid, about our hope. That is, we await a common hope, a hope that our warming globe caught in climate change will be cooled by cooler heads and calmer hearts and careful minds. We await a common hope, a hope that our dangerous world, armed to the teeth with nuclear proliferation, will find peace 
through deft diplomacy and leadership toward lasting nuclear detente. We await a common hope, a hope that our culture, awash in part in hooliganism, will find again the language, the song, and the spirit of the better angels of our nature. We await a common hope, a hope that our country, fractured by massive inequality between rich children and poor children, will rise up and make education, free education, available to all children, poor and rich. We await a common hope, a hope that our nation, fractured by flagrant unjust inequality between rich and poor children, will stand up and make health care, free health care, available to all children, poor and rich. We await a common hope, a hope that our schools, colleges, and universities will balance a love of learning with a sense of meaning, a pride in knowledge with a respect for goodness, a drive for discovery with a regard for recovery. We await a common hope, a hope that our families, so often torn about by abuse, distrust, anger, jealousy, and unkindness, will sit at a long Thanksgiving table this autumn and share the turkey and pass the potatoes and slice the pie and, even if grudgingly, show kindness and pity to one another. We await a common hope a hope that our decisions in life about our callings, how we are to use our time and spend our money, how we make a life, not just a living, will be illumined by grace and generosity. We await a common hope, a hope that our grandfathers and mothers in their age and infirmity will receive care and kindness that accords with the warning, the warning to honor father and mother that your own days be long upon the earth. And we await a common hope, finally a hope not of this world, but of this world as a field of formation for another, not just creation, but new creation, not just life, but eternal life, not just health, but salvation, not just heart, but soul, not just earth, but heaven. We hear the call to persist today, and it is a daily practice, a daily discipline. An example of persistence in the figure of an importunate widow. By the way, that drive on Tuesday amid confusion and timidity, you recall, ended in the presence of a poor widow, now 100 years old, one of your dear sisters, residing across the river in a nursing home. One hundred years of life, of growth, of travel from west to east coast, of faculty spouse leadership in fresh and saltwater schools, of administrative guidance and correction of several general conferences, general church meetings, general superintendents, bishops, and the writing of the 1988 UMC Book of Discipline, Motherhood and Sisterhood and Discipleship, and through it all, 100 years of persistence. For what should we pray, she was asked. Pray for all those who are hurting, she replied, a month before her 101st birthday. 
Jesus told them a parable about their need to pray always and not to lose heart. As we enter into a time of prayer, I invite you to assume the posture that is most prayerful for you. Kneel, sit, stand, come forward to the communion rail, or whatever you choose. As the choir leads us in our call to prayer, lead me, Lord. Yearning for justice, we pray for the church, the world, and all according to their needs. Each petition will end with, Lord, in your mercy, to which the response will be, hear our prayer. God of faithfulness, even when we fall incredibly short, you never abandon us. Help us as we strive to honor and respect every human being, regardless of religion, sexual orientation, race, age, socioeconomic status, criminal history, political party, and gender. Help us to welcome those who are without a home, share with those who are in need, and speak for those without a voice. May we never give up in our struggle for justice. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. God of light, amidst vicious rhetoric and political gridlock, you shine through. Be with us as we seek to find leaders who will work for us and not against us. Guide us in trying to work to improve our nations, our communities, and our lives. May our leaders have the courage to speak out against injustice, bigotry, and oppression, and may they passionately work on behalf of all people. Be a lamp to our feet and a light to our path as we search for a better way. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. God of persistence, you never give up on us. Help us to work tirelessly to care for your creation. Be with all those who are affected by unpredictable and changing weather patterns from here in New England to around the world. Be with all those working to develop and improve sustainable energy alternatives, and may even the smallest victories strengthen our resolve. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. God of wisdom, you know our every thought and action. Be with all those who we hold in our hearts this morning. Where we falter, give us your strength. Where we're silent, give us your words. Where we fall short, give us your forgiveness. Where we feel lost, show us your way. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer.
Hear the hopes and prayers of our hearts, O God, and grant us your justice and peace, filling us with your Holy Spirit, through Jesus Christ, our light and life. Amen. And now, with the confidence of children of God, we are bold to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Good morning. We're delighted to be worshiping together with you this morning, whether you're joining us here in person at 735 Commonwealth Avenue or via radio or podcast. We want to be in closer fellowship with you and help you be in closer fellowship with one another. So two ways to do that are to either fill out the red pads found at the center of each aisle and pass them along to your neighbor, or if you're joining us virtually, um, you can email us at chapel at bu.edu. We have three announcements this morning, and for the first, I'd like to invite Dr. Scott Allen Jarrett, our Director of Music, to make his announcement. We have a very busy week, and I'm excited to invite you to two events. One is this coming Tuesday afternoon at 12.15 in the lunch hour at King's Chapel, which is right near Downtown Crossing, near the Boston Common. Uh, the Choral Scholars and members of the Collegium will be performing Cantata 75 of Bach, uh, in uh, their lunchtime recital at King's Chapel. We're taking up a collection to give to Common Cathedral, which is a uh, sponsored uh, worship service that takes place for unhoused persons on the Boston Common each week, and we're happy to join with King's Chapel in that uh, collaboration, that relationship. Uh, it's free, 12.15 on Tuesday, Katata 75. The second uh, is an invitation to uh, join us for the performance this coming Saturday of a work that we commissioned and premiered uh, Good Friday last year. There's a card in your bulletin with the information about it. Uh, it's a performance of James Callenbach's Most Sacred Body, which uh, draws on the image of Christ's passion and the cross 
and combines that image and that narrative with Milton's Paradise Lost. Um, we have been rehearsing it and are delighted to present it in a concert uh, and then hopefully to present next year in a commercial recording. So that concert is this coming Saturday at 8 o'clock. That's October 22nd. And it's free, so come and bring lots of people with you. Thank you very much. Thank you, Scott. We have two more announcements. First, the women of Marsh Chapel are invited to join Jan Hill at 96 Bay State Road following worship for food, fellowship, and learning. And last, our children's education begins right after the service every week as, except for Communion Sundays. So please join Marsh Associate Devin Harvin during the last hymn if you are a child or want to learn and have fun with the other children of Marsh Chapel. Um, and now as the ushers wait upon us for our tithes and offerings, I invite you to participate here in person or online at bu.edu slash chapel joyfully. Remember, it is a gift and a discipline to be a giver.
merciful God, you hear our prayers and know our hearts. Give us the grace of persistence to seek justice in this world. Receive these gifts for that work. We pray in Christ's name and in the strong power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. May the sun show warm and bright on you, your darkest night a star shine through, your dullest morn a radiant sprue, and when dusk comes, God's hand to you, the blessing of God Almighty, creator, redeemer, and sustainer, be and abide with each one of us now and always. Amen. <laughs> 